Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to cover a rather a large portion of Scripture here together today. Uh, verses 25 to 40 of this chapter. 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 40. Uh, having addressed people in a variety of marital states, the Apostle Paul now devotes the second half of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, to addressing those who are single, and particularly those who have never been married. And if that's you, uh, you may have a variety of thoughts swirling around in your head. Maybe you're saying uh, out loud even or, or thinking things like this. Uh, you might be thinking, you know what, I would really, really like to get married someday. Uh, and maybe you wonder, but uh, is, is it more spiritual or godly to be single? I'm actually maybe even a little bit nervous about this passage and what the Apostle Paul is going to say here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Or maybe you might be wondering, will anybody marry me? Or how long will that take? Or how will I know when I've finally found the one? Should I ask this person out or, or not? Or you know, maybe, I, maybe things just need to come to an end with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Maybe you're nervous or scared about whatever. You fill in the blank. Or maybe you're wondering, is there even a suitable person out there for me? I, I really don't want to settle. I want to marry someone who's godly and loves the Lord. And it just seems like it's really hard to find that person. Or maybe on the flip side of that, you might be saying, actually, you know, I, I don't really want or care to be married. And you may really mean that. You're quite content. Uh, you say, well, this is great. I really like the, the condition, that I, the state that I'm in. Is that Okay. <laughs> Or maybe you're saying, you know, I don't really want to be married. And the fact of the matter is, is, is maybe you're just saying that um, because you're not married and, and it, it's painful. And maybe it's just easier to tell people, uh, yeah, actually, I don't, I don't want to be and kind of avoid that whole discussion matter. Or, or maybe to be really honest, uh, you might even be thinking, you know, I, I can't. It's just hard for me to stop thinking about the clock, you know, I. I'm 24, I'm 28, I'm 35, I'm, I'm 40 some years old, and why, why hasn't this happened yet? You know, my mom, when she was 24 years old, she was already married with four kids. And maybe I'm behind the times, and, or, or maybe just practically you recognize that you're not getting any younger, and you would love to have a family, and you just wonder if that opportunity seems to be slipping away. Or maybe it's just, you know, I just wish everyone would stop telling me what to do, giving me advice, or trying to play matchmaker, and set me up with someone else. That's just not helpful. People wonder if they will or if they should get married. Uh, sometimes singleness comes with a lot of excitement about the future and what lies ahead. And on the flip side of that, sometimes it actually comes with a lot of pressure and tension and confusion, even at times angst. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes in such a way as to, I would say, unburden those who are single uh, and trying to sort through that. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 begins, Now concerning the betrothed. Uh, every time Paul uses that phrase, now concerning, in this book, he's answering a specific question that uh, the Corinthians had asked them. Apparently they had asked him something about singleness. We don't know what their exact question was. Uh, by the way, that word translated betrothed there in verse 25, it simply means virgins. So it, it seems that the Corinthians were asking a question like this. What about those who have never been married? Particularly those who have never engaged in sexual relations. Should they marry? Or should they not? And maybe is one of those, more, uh, one of those conditions more spiritual than another? 
Can you just imagine with me for a moment what type of pressure you would have been under as a single person thinking about marriage in the Corinthian church? Your whole church is discussing this matter. And no doubt everyone has an opinion on what you should do. I mean, can you think of any times where your whole church has been discussing a matter and had an opinion about something? Like maybe the world we're living in right now with COVID, everyone's talking about it. Everybody's got an opinion and no two people agree. I mean, and that singleness, is it's a topic of conversation in this whole church. I mean, can you imagine? You're single in Corinth, thinking about marriage. Your whole church is talking about this so much that they've asked Paul the question. Everybody's probably got an opinion on what you should do and what's more spiritual, this, that, or whatever else. And again, Paul writes here to unburden singles and, and the church as a whole and just take all the pressure off. And in this text, I think what he's really doing, he's just trying to provide really helpful, good pastoral counsel to a group of people that he very much loves. As you contemplate getting married or as you think about your future, you need to consider several factors. And we'll look at a few of these together in a moment. Paul is very clear, though, as he begins, he, he, he takes extra efforts to distinguish between command and counsel. Look at verse 25 and just note what he says as he begins here. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. A few things you might note from that verse. Paul says he has no command from the Lord. What does he mean by that? Well, he, he's made a similar statement back in previous verses. And what was meant is that a singleness is not a matter that Jesus specifically addressed in any kind of great detail in his earthly ministry. What Paul's about to speak to, Jesus did not speak to. So Paul has no command from the Lord, he says. Uh, and what Paul says, he says, I'm going to give my judgment. And, and actually the word is opinion on the matter. So what is he doing? And I think it's important that we be so clear here. He's offering apostolic pastoral counsel. And if you miss that, this text will actually burden you very, very greatly. As if you think of uh, so much of what Paul's going to say here as command, it will be a great weight upon you. If you understand what he's doing and you recognize that uh, he, he's offering pastoral counsel, it'll take huge weights and burdens off. The divine intent here is to unburden you. Paul is being ever so careful not to bind people or their consciences to his opinions or thoughts. And what he's also doing, he's drawing on his credibility with the Corinthians. He's saying, I'm going to share with you some of my opinions as a spirit-filled godly man. I'm going to share some of these things with you. Good pastoral counsel. And what I'm drawing on is my relationship with you and my relationship with Christ. And I'm asking that you would listen. Based on all the good water, so to speak, that we have under the bridge together. So we're going to look together at four factors that you should consider as you think or contemplate getting married. Here's the first one. Consider what challenging circumstances you may have. Look at verses 26 and 27. And again, Paul starts this verse with these words. I think. Okay, he's saying, I'm sharing my opinion. Please listen. This is not divine command. But this is important. You should take this to heart. He goes, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? 
Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. There was some kind of pressing circumstance in Corinth at the time. Uh, Something specific to that historical context in that particular place. And we have no idea what it was. The text doesn't tell us. Paul doesn't go into that detail. Uh, but it would have, it could have been something like economic collapse. Maybe there was some sort of local war going on in the region or societal upheaval. Uh, perhaps some kind of plague or sickness or uh, persecution. The fact of the matter is we don't know. We just know that there was something going on at that time. And it doesn't necessarily matter what that was for our purposes in this text. The point was that there was some pressing circumstance, in Paul's language, some present distress in Corinth, that Paul thought was reason enough at the time for those considering marriage actually to take a step back and hold off and maybe not even get married at all. Uh, It's interesting there in verse 27, he says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Uh, Over the history of the church, and when this verse has been interpreted, some have thought that verse 27 was actually referencing uh, divorce and that Paul is speaking there to married couples. I don't think that's what's going on at all, actually. Um, As I said, many have thought that Paul is speaking there to those who have already been married, but that view has some major problems. Verse 27 really cannot reference divorce. Uh, I think what you have going on there is that Paul is speaking to the betrothed, as we saw there at the beginning of verse 25, those who are already engaged. And one of the things we know about the Jewish people in particular is that the betrothal period was quite significant. You may remember from the beginning of your New Testament, uh, when Joseph had taken Mary to be his wife, he was betrothed to her. They're not fully married yet, but they're in the significant betrothal period. And Joseph decides that he's going to do what? Put her away. Uh, Divorcer would even be the language that was used. And I think that's much what he's saying here. Are, are you bound to a wife? Are you already engaged? Are you already pursuing marriage? Uh, do not seek to be free. And are you free from a wife? Well, do not seek one. And so he's saying, given the present distress, the, the specific context in Corinth, you'd be better off to just remain as you are at the moment, whatever that is. Here's, I think, Kind of one of the big points that he's making. If you're thinking about marriage, challenging circumstances should give you pause. If you're thinking about marriage, you would probably do well to slow down and evaluate your life and consider whether or not you are under any unique pressures. For example, uh, war. Is it a a wartime or is it a peacetime? Is it a time of intense economic collapse? Uh, As you look at your specific situation, do you or perhaps your fiancé have a huge amount of debt? Uh, Maybe school debt or something like that. And if you've got this huge amount, this heaping pile of debt, that's a very stressful situation. You bring that into marriage, you're going to feel that. Uh, Maybe education plans. Maybe as you think about getting married... Maybe you or or the person that you're interested in says, hey, I want to go off to med school and I want to be a doctor and I got 10 years left to go and it's going to be an intense stretch. Or medical concerns for yourself, 
or whoever it is that you're interested in. Maybe a serious medical diagnosis has just been made. Maybe uh, someone's just been diagnosed with cancer or, or something major has been revealed. Or, or, or maybe one of you actually has an ailing parent and you're realizing they need my help and they need it at a very significant level. Or some intense family conflict. Pressures like that, I think Paul is saying, those things should give you pause. Don't just ignore those things like they're no big deal as you think about getting married. Challenging circumstances should give you pause. However, challenging circumstances, Paul makes clear, are not a deal breaker. Remember, Paul is he's saying, listen, I'm not giving commands here. He's giving pastoral counsel. And that counsel should not be quickly dis- disregarded, but neither should it be viewed as a divine mandate. So Paul clarifies with all that in mind, Paul just again, he wants to reaffirm this. This is not command, this is counsel. And so he clarifies that if you do choose to get married, contrary to what Paul had just recommended there, uh, you choose to get married in challenging circumstances, he goes, you have not sinned. Look at verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. So just to be really, really clear here, Paul says this is not a moral matter. This is not about right and wrong. You have not sinned, but you do need to brace for reality. Look at verse 28 again. If you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And he says, I would spare you that. And again, what's his context here? His context is the distressing situation going on in Corinth that we don't know about. And he's telling these these single people, listen, I think given the the craziness and the the crisis that's going on in your situation, you would be wise to, to maybe pump the brakes and not get married at this time. But if you do, you haven't sinned, just know that in the middle of this crisis, if you choose to get married, you're going to have some difficulties. You're going to have some troubles. And you need to brace for that. You need to go into that marriage with your eyes wide open. That school debt that that each of you have, that is going to be crushing, and that weight is going to add a lot of strength to your marriage. Guaranteed. Earning that medical degree is going to put you and your, your marriage through the ringer. Uh, maybe you're in the military. If you get married and then you, you're deployed for the next 18 months, there's going to be some challenges with that. That's going to be hard. I had a substitute teacher uh, growing up who also attended my church. Her name was Mrs. Mester. And by the time I met her, she must have uh, probably already been in her 80s at that time. And she and her husband met and were married on the same day right before he went off to fight World War II. I mean, this is quite the story. It's like they meet, get, they get married, and off the war he goes. How romantic, right? I, <laughs> but that's what they did. And 60 years, some years later, when I knew them, they were this happy couple who was still together. And I think there's little question, though, that in the early days of that marriage, that it would have been filled with worldly troubles. That by God's grace, they overcame. But that would have been hard. That would have been difficult. And, and, and maybe some counsel would have just said, hey, why don't you just wait till after the war? You're not going to see each other anyway. 
Paul writes to potentially spare you from some of those earthly, worldly troubles. As you contemplate getting married, you need to consider what challenging circumstances you have. Just slow down and take a look at those things and seek godly counsel. If you're unmarried, maybe there is some crisis or hardship that should cause you to pump the brakes or, or I need to sort through this first. And by the way, Paul sets a very wise example to follow here. If you are a parent, if you are a pastor, if you are a counselor, I think we want to take note of what Paul does here. He's ever so careful not to elevate his opinion and counsel to that of divine command. And I think that's really easy for parents to do. You, you look at your child, you, you look at your single young person, and they, they've entered into adulthood, and they're thinking about marriage, and you really love them, and you really care about them. And it's really easy to just tell them what you think they ought to do and expect them that will fall under my authority. And just, this is, and Paul, he, he doesn't even do that. He's an apostle, and he says, I want to give you the best counsel I can give you. But at the end of the day, if you choose to go the other way, you haven't sinned. You don't want to elevate your opinion and counsel to that of divine command. To do so is both dangerous and wrong. The second factor to consider, consider how you can best give yourself fully to the Lord. Isn't that the question for all of us in life? How can I give myself fully to God and his work and his service? The goal of life is to please the Lord. And if you're single, considering marriage, you want to ask, well, how can I do that best? Can I do that best through singleness? Could I do that best through marriage? And it's not a one-size-fits-all sort of thing. Uh, but when it comes to serving the Lord, you, you need to recognize that the opportunity is limited. To put things in perspective, Paul reminds you of the shortness of the time. Look at verse 29. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. You may remember from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it talks about the last days and how those last days, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, but the last days began with the ministry of Jesus. People talk about how, oh, we must be in the last days, but, but people don't understand that began with Jesus. And he since died, rose, and ascended into heaven. And now we await his return. We await the consummation of all things. And Paul says, listen, the appointed time has, come, uh, it has grown very, very short. And he clarifies what he means by that at the end of verse 31 when he speaks of the passing of the world. Uh, the end of the verse there, verse 31 says, the present form of this world is passing away. And what he does, he draws our attention away from that which is fleeting and temporal to that which is eternal. Did you know that earthly marriage does not transfer into the eternal state? You realize that you are not taking your marriage with you to heaven. Or your future marriage. You're not taking it with you into eternity. What is Paul's application of that? Well, we don't want to misunderstand what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, um, don't get married because of that. That's actually not what he says. Rather, Paul explains, you need to recognize that the opportunity to serve the Lord is limited. And in order to make the most of that opportunity, you need to live with right levels of attachment to the things of this life and to the things of this world. We might even say that you need to live a life that is maritally detached but that sounds really awful. However, um, 
I think we could word it better by, by turning it around the other way. Maybe instead of saying you should live a life that's maritally detached, you need to live a life that's, that is appropriately attached to the things of this world. Paul first applies that maritally. Look at verse 29. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. And here's the application of that. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Uh, that just does not sound very good, does it? Live is like you're married, but don't live like you're not? Well, we know from so many other places that God commends marriage. He says things like, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Uh, God loves marriage. And elsewhere in Scripture, he explains the commitments and the requirements of, of married life. I mean, we have chapters like Ephesians chapter 5 that talk about some of your marital responsibilities. And because of things like that, we know that Paul is speaking here in relative terms. So what on earth is he saying? If you're married, live like you're not. I think he's saying this. Don't live for your marriage and don't live to get married. You cannot be consumed with and live for your marriage and make it your primary focus. Don't live primarily for your family. You have family and marital responsibilities that you cannot neglect without sinning. And I think we have to be so clear on that. If you have taken a wife, if you're married to a husband, you have responsibilities there. And they're very, very important. You cannot neglect those things without sinning. But Jesus must be first. And so Paul's saying, live your life for the Lord. It's not enough to live your life for your marriage. Jesus is the only one worthy of your devotion. So keep your marriage in in biblical perspective. And as as you date, as you uh, look forward to the future and maybe getting married, you have to have a biblical perspective on this. This is not everything. This isn't even the goal of life. Marriage is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. If Paul says this about marriage, what would that imply about all the other parts of your human and earthly existence? I mean, if you just were to argue from the greater to the lesser, think how significant marriage is and how it can be used uh, in the Lord's service. And if he would say that, what he says here about marriage, what would that imply about all the other stuff? your career, your enjoyment, your pursuit of of money and so many other things. Next, you should live with right levels of attachment emotionally. Uh, Look with me at verse 30. He says here, And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. What might he be referring to there? I, I think... God certainly doesn't want you to be a stoic without any feelings or emotions and things like that. But rather, I think he's saying, don't attach your deepest emotions to anything down here at this time, the things of earth. And don't let sadness and gladness keep you from living for God. And then he moves on to right levels of attachment materially. Look at verse 30. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And then he says this, and those who buy as though they had no goods. It's not a problem to buy things, to do business, to engage in commerce. I mean, we all do this. 
But don't make your life about those things. Don't be a person who's buying so that you might possess. And so that you might have. And your life becomes about that. Don't love your things more than God. And then he moves on to right levels of attachment culturally. Verse 31. And those who deal with this with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Whatever this world has to offer. All of those things should be secondary. Live like a sojourner. Like First Peter says. You're a stranger here. You're a pilgrim here. You're just passing through. Don't make this place and all the things of earth, even your marriage, your life. Only Jesus is worthy of that. It's probably been some time since most of us have boarded an airplane. But as as you think back many, many years ago to the last time you did that, and maybe you're getting ready to to board your airplane and uh, the plane's there at the gate. They've got the little uh, stairs or the runway thing going out to the door there. And your plane, you don't... You don't know quite when it's going to take off, but it's there. The plane is right there, and uh, they could start boarding at any time. You know, that, that's not the time that you go, hey, you know what? I, I'm in this city. I've never been here before. I think I'll go out of the airport really quick. There's this place I want to see in the city. I think I can run out of the airport and come back in and make it in time. Or I kind of like to explore this airport. Maybe I'll walk all the way to the other side, and then I'll walk over here, and I'll try this wing. I'll try that wing. Or maybe I'll go in this restaurant down here and just... Pop in and order a steak dinner and sit down and make myself comfortable. No, when, when your plane is there at the gate, those are the very things that you don't do. Because you don't want to miss it. And I think Paul is arguing very much that way. Don't you realize that, that the time is so short? The plane is here. This is not the time for you to become engrossed in the things of this world and, and be doing this and be doing that full bore. The time is too short for that. Live your life for Jesus. And as you contemplate getting married, that's one of the questions you want to ask is, how can I best give myself to the Lord? Because that's the goal of life, to live for him and to please him. Can I do that better as a single person or can I do that better as a married person? In whatever state that is, singleness or marriage, you need to live with right levels of attachment. And I think sometimes in the dating process and getting to know someone and thinking about marriage, I mean, this person just becomes your world. And, and maybe even once you become married, well, I've finally, or you become married, I've finally, it's finally happened and I've got this wonderful person that I get to spend the rest of my life with. Yes, that is wonderful. But don't forget that Jesus is number one. If you're single, has getting married become an idol or has it been elevated to the goal of life in your mind? Remember, that, that may be wonderful, a wonderful gift of the Lord to you, but it is not everything. And maybe if you're dating someone, has your boyfriend or girlfriend reached idol status in your life? And is your top priority serving Jesus while you can? And obviously, these last few verses that we've been looking at, they're not just for single people. They're for all of us, single, married, whoever it is that we are. How attached are you to the things of this life? And one of the things I think is worth all of us considering, uh, particularly those actually who are married and maybe have kids or, or whatever, if you are married, is your marriage and family an idol that's actually keeping you from serving God? Are you living for your marriage and for your family? I don't... 
I don't really know if, if this is a potential possibility or not, but I've kind of wondered if it is actually very possible that we have become the generation of the family idol. Where families, it's everything. And actually, I think what happens in, in Christian circles and church life is maybe what you figure out is, okay, as, as a husband, I need to make sure that my career and my job isn't everything. And so I, I tone back, maybe even I, I don't take certain promotions because I realize like I, I can't be fully engrossed in that world without neglecting some other things. And, and maybe you've intentionally not climbed the ladder at certain points or whatever, or you've tried to really keep your hours at work in balance or whatever, and maybe that's great. But I just want to ask you, have, have you protected yourself from one potential idol just to dive into another one? And I think... It, as Christians, it's so easy to look at our families and our marriages and go, those are very, very important. Uh, I, I can spiritually justify that. And, and yes, that's true, right? Because God's given you certain responsibilities there. But I think actually sometimes we just trade one idol for another. Jesus has to be king. Even more than your wife or your husband or your kids. Is your family actually an idol? Are you serving Jesus? Or you go, well, I, got, I have a wife and I have a kid, kids and I don't have any time for that. My wife needs me. My kids need me. My husband needs me. My kids need me. There's just no time left. Notice what Paul said, that there, you cannot put anything in the place of Jesus Christ. Third factor to consider. Consider the cares and concerns that come with marriage. As you think about how to best serve the Lord, you need to be aware that marriage may alter the ways in which you serve and, and can serve the Lord. Paul explains that a married person has additional concerns. And even as they think about serving the Lord, their marriage, their family, that, that's going to impact some things. With marriage comes additional concerns and challenges. And, and Paul is not going to condemn these different challenges, but he's simply going to state they're a reality. Marriage comes with God-given duties and responsibilities and therefore distractions. Look at verses 32 to 35. I just want to read this whole kind of chunk of text here. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties or concerns. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy or consecrated, we might say, in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly or earthly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Uh, when you are single, you can be fully devoted and consecrated to the service of the Lord with very, very little earthly distraction. It's a state of undistracted devotion. When you are married, one of the primary ways that you devote yourself to the Lord is actually through your marriage and family. You serve him through that channel by fulfilling your roles and responsibilities in the home. And again, that's not a bad thing at all. It's actually a very, very good thing. However, it limits your ability to serve God elsewhere. And it at times limits the degree to, to which you can serve. You may want to serve at a higher degree, and yet 
there's some constraint placed upon you. And consequently, a married person is divided. Verse 34 talks about how a married man is divided. There may be certain things that he wants to do for God or ways that he wants to serve God, but married life constrains him from doing that. And just to be clear, again, God's not condemning that. He's just saying this is a reality. However, these are the types of things that one should consider when thinking about marriage. In the not-so-distant past, it was common for missionaries to ship their kids off to boarding school so that they could devote themselves to serving the Lord, perhaps in some very difficult place. Uh, growing up, I knew an amazing, amazing missionary couple who had served the Lord in, uh, I think it was West Africa, for decades. Um, he was a helicopter bush pilot. And she was one of the sweetest, sweetest, godliest women I knew. And I used to love just hearing them tell their stories of how God worked in Africa and the places that they were at and the things they did and the things they saw God do. It was just so fascinating how they were serving the Lord and how God had worked. But to do that wonderful work, they outsourced their work as parents to a boarding school. And the impact on their son was quite detrimental. And I think you go back just a few decades, that was very, very common amongst missionaries serving on foreign fields. And we, we want to make this big impact for God in this place, but the place that we're at, it's really hard to have a family and raise kids. And off to boarding school, the kids went. As you contemplate getting married, you need to consider the cares and concerns that come with marriage. They're not bad, but they do need to be considered. So maybe a question that's worth asking yourself is, how do you see yourself serving the Lord in the days to come? Do you see yourself serving or working in a career that is not very conducive to marriage and family? And there are careers and and there are ministry dynamics like that. Are you a man or a woman who believes that God is calling you to serve him through an intense career or, or ministry life? And the fact of the matter is God may be calling you to that very thing. And that could be so great and that could be so wonderful. But it, what it might be is actually a reason to forgo marriage. Because what you don't want to be in this situation, well, I want to serve God like this in this very intense way. I feel God is calling me to this very intense career, but that is in no way conducive to a, a family and kids. Well, that should give you great pause as you think about getting married. And also, I think these last few verses that we've looked at would encourage you to make full use of your singleness for the Lord. Are you, just a question for you, if you're single, are you using your unmarried state actually as a reason not to serve the Lord? Because I think those thoughts could come. I could do this if I was married, or this might be easier Um, And so it maybe becomes a reason not to to serve the Lord. And yet God wants you to use your singleness to its fullest. And if you're not doing that right now, then changing your status now is only going to make that harder in the future. When you think about what Paul has said here, actually, all of a sudden when you get married, now you've got additional concerns and cares. Make full use of your singleness for the Lord. And whatever marital or family state you find yourself in today, that state puts you in a unique position to serve the Lord. It really does. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in, God wants you to be faithful with the opportunities around you that you have. If you're single, 
Well, according to this passage, God says that, that you can fully devote yourself to serving him in a way that's undistracted. Do that. And make use of the time that God has given you as a single person. Paul makes clear, though, that there is no noose or constraint or lasso in this passage. And he makes that quite clear if you look at verse 35. He says, I say this for your benefit. I'm, I'm trying to help you. My goal, he says, is not to lay any constraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I want you to serve the Lord with your whole heart, whether you're single or married. I'm not trying to tell you what you should do. I'm not trying to tell you that you have to get married or that you have to stay single. And that leads us to a fourth factor to consider here briefly as we conclude. Consider what you would like to do. What is it that you want to do? Is it your desire to live for the Lord and please Him? Are you sitting here going, yes, that is my heart. I want to live for the Lord. Is it your desire that Jesus would be the supreme Lord of your life? Well, if that's your desire, and that's what he's been pointing to in this text, and that's where your heart's at, then it's very safe and appropriate at that point for you to actually ask, what is it that I want to do? And in verses 36 and 38, we see that singles, or to use the word from the beginning of this passage, virgins can choose. Look at verses 36 to 38. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined, he's determined, this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. What did Paul just say there? He's saying, if, it, if you're in this place where you're trying to serve God, you decide. You want to get married? Get married. You want to stay single? Stay single. If you want to get married to serve the Lord, then do it. And if you, on the flip side of that, come to the conviction that you should remain single and believe that you have the gift of celibacy, perhaps, to stay single, well, by all means, stay single. God commends both. And though singleness is God, not God's will for everyone, it is a great thing and a wonderful state in which to serve the Lord. And even Paul, he, he, he's, a, he's a single person with a preference towards it. He says, I can serve the Lord in an amazing way as a single person. And I hope that you will feel that same way. So singles can choose. In verses 39 to 40, he turns our attention to widows and widowers, and they too can choose. Look at these verses a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. If you're a widow or a widower sitting here today and you want to marry and believe that you can serve God better in that condition, what does God say? Then marry. Then do it. Staying single may be better, but not necessarily. Paul does state a very important condition at the end of verse 39, though, that I don't think we want to miss. He says, only in the Lord. If you do marry for the first time or your spouse dies and you get married again, God expects you to marry in the Lord. And what that means is that you need to marry another believer. 
That you have no business dating an unbeliever? You have no business marrying an unbeliever? You need to marry someone who also has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and is living for him. So as you think about getting married or look towards your future, you need to consider several factors. And I hope it is your supreme desire. I just want to please the Lord to the best of my ability by his grace. Would you bow your head and close your eyes at this time?